Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, I love you guys. I've been praying for you all week, whether you're watching online or in person. It's an honor and a privilege. It really is. Whether you're here for the first time or the 400th, there's just so much value in November of 2021. Maybe I just realized that more than ever, connection, family, it's a big deal. So going back just a few years, January of 1961, John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as the 35th president of the United States. The speech that he gave that day at the height of the Cold War was considered by many a rallying cry, not just for Americans, but for democratic people around the world. He said this, let every nation know whether they wish us well or ill, that we will pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and success of liberty. It's interesting, though, because there's another line in that speech, and even though the speech was given some 60 years ago, I think there's a decent chance that you've heard it before. And you might not realize that it came from this speech, but maybe you've heard this line before. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I was thinking about that line a lot this week, and it brought to mind one of the most powerful prayers in the entire Bible. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed on the eve of his crucifixion. And he prayed it for people who would come to follow him. Not just at that time, but in all the times and all the centuries to come. So in other words, he was praying for you. He was praying for me. He was praying for us. Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. He says this, I've given them, that's us, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You are not of this world. What a weird concept. That you and me, we're not of this world. The, the suggestion would be this, that at some point in your life, at some point in my life, we come to a point when we realize that, and like, I don't find meaning the way the world finds meaning. I don't find purpose the way the world finds purpose. I don't keep score in the same way that the world keeps score, and I don't find hope the way the world finds hope. I'm not of this world. In other words, there comes a point in your life when you realize that spiritually speaking, I ain't from here. I kind of look at things differently. I, I, I look at the world from kind of a, 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 a wider view, almost a heavenly or eternal view. There comes a point in your life, there comes a point in my life when we will come to this startling realization, spiritually speaking, I ain't from here. You are not of the world. But then Jesus says, and yet you've been sent into the world. You're not of the world, but you've been sent into the world. You're not of the world, but you've been sent into the world. In other words, 
there's going to be moments in your life when God's going to bring a person or God's going to bring people into your life and they're going, they're, they're going to have spent days, weeks, years trying to find meaning the way the world finds meaning and at some point they just end up confused. You, you're going to come up you're, you're going to bump into people who have spent years trying to find purpose the way the world finds purpose, and there's going to be these moments where they just feel completely aimless. Every once in a while, you're going to bump into a person, and they're going to have tried to keep score the world the way the world keeps score, and yet there's going to be these moments when they find themselves completely and totally defeated. You're going to run into people once in a while who've been trying to find hope the way the world finds hope, and yet there's going to be these moments when all they feel is despair. And that's the moment when it all comes together. When you realize what it means to not be of the world, but be sent into the world. Because in that moment you say, oh no, it's going to be okay. I, I want to show you a, a different kind of purpose. I want to show you a different kind of meaning. I want to show you a different kind of victory. I want to show you a different kind of hope. Let's pan out for a bit. Let's look at things from a wider perspective. See, there's this startling moment in your life, in my life, when we look and we realize, spiritually speaking, I'm not from here. And yet I've been sent into the world. To paraphrase the words of John F. Kennedy in January of 1961, I might put it this way. At some point in your life, at some point in my life, we come to this realization. I'm not going to ask what this world can do for me. Instead, I'm going to ask, what can I do for this world? Radical paradigm shift. Radical paradigm shift. And what's crazy is that we're in this New Testament book of 1 Timothy, and that's one of the things that Paul's doing. See, Paul's writing a letter to a pastor he's mentoring named Timothy, and Paul's suggesting that we can actually live our lives understanding that while we are not of the world, we've been sent into it, we can actually live lives together as a church and individually where we ask not what this world can do for us, but instead we actually begin to ask ourselves every moment, what can I do for the world? And so we've reached the last chapter of this book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 starts out this way. Whoever is a slave must make the best of it. Wait, what? Whoever is a slave must make the best of it. That seems kind of weird. The reason why it seems kind of weird is that it is kind of weird. So I need to explain it. So we need to understand that at the time that Paul was writing this letter, there was two kinds of slavery in the world. The first kind of slavery is the very slavery that Paul condemned vehemently early in this same letter. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says slave traders are demonic. They're evil, they're reprehensible. He compares them to people who murder their own parents. Someone who would take someone against their will, coerce, manipulate somebody until they're nothing but a piece of property stripped of all human rights and all human value. That's demonic, that's evil. Paul condemns it. So he's certainly not in this passage saying, hey, if you're a slave like that, you know what you should do? Just make the best of it. No, but there was a second kind of slavery in the world at the time that Paul wrote this letter. A little bit different. So if, if I owed somebody money, and I didn't have the money to pay them back, or I didn't want to spend the money that I had to pay them back, I could actually choose 
to work it off. In other words, that second kind of slavery, the kind that Paul is referring to here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, is very similar to what we would call employment. <laughs> I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. Okay, so it's, it's similar to that kind of employment. So what Paul is saying here actually is, if you have a job, make the best of it. If you have a job, make the best of it. He goes on. Give respect to his master or your boss so that outsiders don't blame God and our teaching for his behavior. Hey, if you have a job, make every day your masterpiece. Make your boss happy that she hired you every day. Do a great job. And if you come to the point where you need to leave your job, that's okay, because every once in a while you've got to leave a job. But do that well, too. Like don't, in a, in a moment of rage, yell at your boss, take this job and shove it, okay, what, what you do is you find the job that you want to go to instead, you give notice, and you respectfully and kindly tell your boss, hey, I'm checking out. So well, my boss is a jerk, and they're going to make it bad anyways. That's okay. You look yourself in the mirror, and you know that you made every day your masterpiece, even your last day at that job. Paul says, you want to make Jesus look good, which is a really crazy thought, because you and I have been raised to think, um, I'm not asking what I can do for this job. I'm thinking what? What can this job do for me? Paul says, no, look at it a different way. Instead of asking what can this job do for me, I'm going to ask what can I do for this job? It should be noted in light of that, that there's really no such thing as a dream job, right? There's really no such thing as a dream job. And this coming from somebody who has absolutely loved every job that I've done as an adult. Waiter, teacher, coach, youth pastor, lead pastor, every single one of them loved, absolutely loved. And yet I know that none of them were my dream job for two reasons. Number one, I noticed that in every one of those jobs that I loved, that I currently love, I looked around and I saw others doing the exact same job that I was doing who hated it. They didn't love it. So obviously there's nothing innately dreamy about that job because then we would all love it. You say, even lead pastors, Mike? Like there's lead pastors who don't like being lead pastors? Oh, yes, there are. Oh, yes, there are. Second reason I know that there's nothing... There's no such thing as a dream job, is that I've loved every job that I've done, and yet not one of them has met my deepest needs. Not one of them has come to define me. Not one of them is finally fully satisfied, not one. And I've loved every one of them. And it got me thinking that, I wonder if you know who you really are. <laughs> like, like, do you understand that the God who spoke the universe into existence thought you up, that you started out as a dream in the mind of God. You're his idea. He created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. You are not a mistake. And while we say he's the God of the universe, and that's true, he's also the God of you. Like, he knows you. He's with you. He's for you right now. He loves you so much, in fact, that he sent his son to die for you, 
to unequivocally establish once and for all your incredible value. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are valued. You are cared for right now. Not some idealized version of you. You, right now. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a dad. Maybe you're a husband. Maybe you're a wife. Maybe you're a brother. Maybe you're a sister. You're a friend. You're a friend. You're a part of this mission, this movement of God called Southside Church. You're a neighbor. What a cool concept, neighbor. Somebody asked Jesus once, who is my neighbor? And I think that Jesus would have said it this way. Who is your neighbor? Here, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is that person that's going to come to you, and they're going to say this. I've been spending my whole life trying to find meaning and purpose and victory and hope, and I can't find it. And in that moment, you're the one that gets to say, hey, can we step back for a second? Can we look at life from a wider perspective? I think I can help you find everything that you've been looking for. You're a child of God. Maybe you're a spouse. Maybe you're a parent. You're a friend. You're, you're, you're a neighbor. And every one of those things is infinitely more important what you happen to do for work. Well, I'm a lawyer. I'm sorry. I'm a doctor. Who cares? No, no, I mean, I care, especially if I get sick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to care. But, but ultimately, you know what doesn't define you, right? Well, I'm a farmer. That's awesome. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I'm a pastor. I'm a contractor. I'm a tradesperson. That's all good. None of it defines you. See, every once in a while, we have to come to a point where we remind ourselves again that spiritually speaking, I'm not from here. So... <laughs> So why in the world would I ask my job to do for me what no job could ever do? Meet my deepest needs. Instead, what I do is I step into the world asking not what this world can do for me, but asking instead, what can I do for this world? Changes everything. And Paul goes on in this passage to kind of explain what it is to say that spiritually speaking, we're not from here. He says this, these are the things I want you to teach and preach. If you have leaders there who teach otherwise, who refuse the solid words of our master Jesus and this godly instruction, tag them for what they are. Ignorant windbags who infect the air with germs of envy, controversy, bad-mouthing, suspicious rumors. Eventually there's an epidemic of backstabbing and truth is but a distant memory. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. So when I stand up here and I say, spiritually speaking, we're not from here. Here's the truth. This is what I mean. We believe in a triune God. The Trinity. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. One in essence, three persons. And we believe that in the beginning, that time plus matter plus chance didn't build all of this. That God spoke the universe into existence. And the same God who spoke the universe into existence, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, created men and women in his own image. And he created people to live in worshipful, unbroken relationship with that same God who created them. But because he wanted relationship with people, he gave us free will because there can be no relationship without free will. And the first man and the first woman used that free will to walk away from that perfect, worshipful, unbroken relationship with the God who created them, which was a really bad day for you and me. Because 
when they walked away from God, well, God is life. God is light. God is hope. So when they walked away from God, they walked us into a place of darkness, despair, and death. But God had a plan. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus, stepped into human history, came as a baby, born in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem, and Jesus grew up. I want you to think about that. Jesus grew up and he lived his life. Why? Because God wanted to illustrate his character and his nature in a way that you and me could fully understand. So we look at Jesus and we see that he preached and he healed and he taught and he resisted religiosity. And we understand God is not only great, but he's good. He's grace, he's mercy, he's love, he's hope. And that same Jesus died on a cross and rose again. And because of that, our past can be buried, our present empowered, our future redeemed, death defeated, our eternity secure. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to live with us, to live in us. And the Holy Spirit gives us strength. How much strength? Brianna sang it earlier. Just enough to take one next step. That's how much strength he gives you but he also gives you guidance. He shows you which direction to take that one next step at a time. And he also gives you what's called conviction. Conviction, such a cool thing. You know, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, here are the things that are weighting you down. Here are the things that are gonna drag you back from following God one next step at a time. And one day Jesus is coming back. And when he does, this history is gonna wind up. He's gonna make all things new, new history, new heaven, New earth. The Bible says there's going to be no, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death, no more mourning, no more sadness, no more COVID, no more floods, no more fighting. He's going to make all things new. And then we're going to step into this place called eternal life. But I just wonder if we understand what that means. Life. 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 Like, you know that part of you deep down inside that keeps saying, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. There is. I heard someone say once that when you get to heaven, you're going to realize that you spent your whole life homesick for a place you've never been. Every need, every desire, everything you've ever wanted deep down inside, eternal life, that kind of eternal life. So when I say spiritually speaking, we ain't from here, that's what I mean. That's where our hope comes from. That's where our purpose comes from. That's where our meaning comes from. That's where our victory comes from. You get it? So we can truly ask ourselves, not what this world can do for me, but we can start asking, what can I do for this world? Because I don't need the applause of people. I don't need recognition. I don't need approval. I live my life for an audience of one, and he loves me, and he's with me, and he's for me, and he's good. And he sent me into this world, not for me, not for me, not to ask what this world can do for me, but instead to begin to ask, what can I bring to this world? How can I bring meaning? How can I bring hope? How can I bring purpose? How can I bring victory to the people around me? The Bible says, you can really boil it down to this, just love God and love people. Just love God and love people, that's how it looks. Because if you lose sight of that, Paul says, you're gonna think religion is a way to make a fast buck. You're gonna think religion is a way to make a fast buck. Interesting segue, eh? 
Now we're talking about money. Here's why. Ask not what this world can do for you, but ask instead what you can do for the world. Neat. Real neat, right? Real easy to say when I'm standing here. You understand we've been raised to believe to live the opposite. Everything inside of me asks instead, what can this world do for me? Because I've been raised to ask that question. You understand? We're born into it. What can this world do for me? And Paul says, if you start to think that way, so if you flip it on its head, instead of saying, man, I'm not asking what the world can do for me, I'm asking what I can do for the world. If you flip that and say, I'm not asking what I can do for the world, I'm asking what the world can do for me, it's always going to be about money for you. It'll always end up at money. Because there's one thing that this world will tell you, and if you get enough of that, it's going to be all good. It's money. It's sad, too, because instead of living your life to love God and love people, you know, using money and using stuff to love God and love people, what ends up happening is you start to use God and use people to try to love money and love stuff. Paul goes on. He says this, a devout life does bring wealth. A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. That's so cool. That's contentment, right? A devout life does bring wealth. It's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. I love that a lot. I was 22 years old when Corinne and I got married seven and a half, eight years ago, and, and Corinne was 21, and we were so, so, so far from perfect, but we figured this thing out right away. Week one. Week one. We understood that when you, when you, when, when you decide that you're going to ask what this world can do for you, it's going to become about money, and so we wanted to be really, really clear from week one on in our marriage that we were trusting God more than we trusted money. And when, when Paul talks about a devout life, what he really means, the Bible talks about this concept of tithing. This concept of tithing. Tithing is really simple. It's radical, though. It's so radical. Tithing is this. You assume that everything you have comes from God. It's a blessing from God. And what you do is you bring, you bring the first tenth of what he's given you back to the church. Here's the radical part of it. Simple, but radical. Because you actually believe, listen to this, listen to this you actually believe that the God of the universe can bless you more with 90 than you could bless yourself with 100%. That's what it is. And, and, and we were so far from perfect, but we had this figured out from week one. And you know what we've experienced throughout our whole lives? The rich simplicity of being ourselves before God. The, the, the idea of living our lives, not asking what this world can do for me, but asking what I can do for this world, it's amazing. See, because if you flip that on its head, you end up in this race. And you're running and you're running. It's a race called rat. Have you ever heard of it? You're, you're, you're in this race and you're running and you're running and you're running. And the thing that sucks about the race called rat is you think that there's got to be a finish line. Don't races have finish lines? Okay, and so you're waiting. And so you come around a corner and you say, surely around this next corner, I will reach the finish line to the race called rat. And you come around the corner and there's no freaking finish line. 
You're like, you got to be kidding me. I guess i got to run a little bit harder. And so you keep running and running and running, and you say, well, up that next rise. When I crest that next rise, the finish line will be there. What's the finish line? I don't know. Rest. Contentment. A feeling of, you know what? It's actually enough. And we come over the next rise. Guess what? No finish line. It's heartbreaking, too, because people get near to the end of their lives, and it hits them finally. When they feel like it's too late, it hits them. There was never any finish line. And you end up miserable and exhausted. That's the race called rat. And so God had this idea. God says, why don't you invite me into your financial world? (laughs) You, You do that when you tithe. And and the minute that you trust God, the the minute you invite God into your financial world, guess what you realize? Oh, the finish line was right there all along. Shut it down, man. Stop running. The rest is right here. The enough is right here. The contentment is right here, right now. It never came out there. It always came from him in here. Over the last few weeks, I've had some people come to me and say, Man, it's amazing how Southside Church stepped up with flood relief. And I think it's so nice of them to say. It's so nice of them to say, but it's actually incorrect. It's actually incorrect. It, it's, it's the same thing that I feel when someone says to me the other day, man, I, I, I saw the new Southside building. You must be delighted with it. Uh, that's really nice to say, but it's actually somewhat incorrect. So when people say to me, Southside Church really stepped up over these last two weeks during flood relief, my only problem with that statement is, well, no, we've always been doing this. You just noticed over the last two weeks. You understand what I mean? There's a core group of us that a long time ago figured out that, spiritually speaking, I ain't from here. And so we made the decision that instead of asking what this world's what all these people can do for me, we kind of came to this conclusion. Why don't we do this instead? Why don't we ask what we can do for the world? It's getting close to year end, so a lot of compiling is happening, a lot of numbers being crunched. Not necessarily my forte, but others do it well. Someone said to me the other day, hey, you want to know how much money Southside Church spent this year? Which, by the way, who's Southside Church? It's you. It's us. You know how much money Southside Church spent on tangible help this year? I said, what do you mean? Oh, like diaper bags. Remember that story a few weeks ago about that 17-year-old girl who wasn't sure whether she was going to have her baby, but she did, and she got two Southside diaper bags, and she said when she got the second one, she felt like it was God saying to her, you did good. You did good. I'm still with you. You remember that story? Yeah, so diaper bags like that, strollers, flood relief, Haiti Free School. I said, I don't know how much. They said just about $400,000. Which is a cool number for me because I've told you before, I was youth pastor of this church before I became lead pastor. And I remember the year before I became lead pastor, the annual budget for our church, for our entire church, was less than $400,000. Well, how does that happen? Oh, it's really simple. It's really simple. There was this group of wingnuts that got together and said, hey, spiritually speaking, we ain't from here. So I think this is what we're going to (laughs) do. It's crazy. I think what we're going to do is instead of asking what this world can do for me, 
I'm just going to ask, what can I do for this world? Oh, and the building thing. Well, not really delighted with the building. It's not really, that's not really the point of the building. This building is an extension of asking not what this world can do for me. This building is asking us, what can we do for this city? So, so yesterday we did this thing called All is Bright. I, I tabulated, I think probably about 2,500 hours of service to our city happened just yesterday alone. And this was the hub. That's what I mean. Delighted? Yeah, I guess that part of it delights me. But this is for this city. It all is. Make sense? But it all starts when you come to this conclusion. That spiritually speaking, I'm not from here. So I'm not going to ask what this world can do for me. I'm going to ask what I can do for this world. And then the Bible says you receive this thing called a double blessing, which is so cool. A double blessing. So the first blessing you receive is this, that when you bring your first tenth back to the church, you, you hear stories like that 17-year-old girl that decided to keep her baby and, and, and how she felt like God said to her, um, you did good. I'm still with you. And you realize, that's, are you kidding me? Like, that's it. And you're so blessed because you're a part of that. But secondly, in a strange twist of spiritual fate, you find out along the way that finding the rich simplicity of being yourself before God is more, that you could, more than you could ever find running that race called rat. What a strange twist of spiritual fate. It turns out you get more by giving than you, you could ever get by getting in the first place. Weird. Paul goes on. Says, but, it's, but if it's only money these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. You know what I hate about kids? It's only one thing that really bugs me about kids. The youth this day, these days. The thing that bugs me about kids, they're so stinking smart. That's the only thing that makes parenting hard. Kids are smart. They spot a hypocrite a mile away. So annoying. And you're like, all the people with like kids one year old or younger go, I haven't found that. Just wait. They'll know you well by the time they're two. <laughs> Here's what's sad in a lot of North American churches. In a lot of North American churches, we have moms and dads that sit down with their kids and they say, you can trust Jesus. Well, what do you mean? No, you can trust him. Trust him with what? You can trust him to forgive your sins. You, you, you can trust him to give you strength for today. You can trust him to give you hope for tomorrow. You can trust him to defeat death and secure your eternity. You really, really can. And the kids are looking going, whoa, wait a minute, that's great news. And then they see mom and dad. They trust him, sort of. They just don't trust them with their finances. That's tough. It wouldn't be tough, except kids, so stinking smart. They figure it out, right? They say the last thing to get saved in the life of most North American churchgoers is their wallet. <laughs> you know where I don't see that happening lots? In Haiti, in my trips to do missions down in Haiti, I don't see a lot of struggle in that area. And I think it's pretty clear why, right? Like, they get it. 
this race called rat down in Haiti, there's no winning. But it's so hard where we're from because if there's any culture in the history of the world that could convince ourselves, you know what? This could really finally fully satisfy me. This whole money thing could work for me. The, 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 the culture that would struggle with that more than any other culture in existence is our culture. And it's sad because kids, so stinking smart, they watch you and they see, I thought I was gonna see an abundant life, I thought I was gonna see faith, but I say this race called rat and I see you miserable and exhausted. And you've shown them misery and exhaustion, but you've never shown them the upside down reality of the open-handed life. I had an invention, and I think it's gonna be big. I just have some technological glitches to work out, okay? So tell me what you think of it. It's called a truth-telling t-shirt. Okay, truth, it's just a t-shirt that always tells the truth, no matter what. So you walk into a restaurant, and you say to the host, hey, I'm I'm taking her out on our first date. Can you get me a really good table, right? And then he looks at your shirt, and your shirt says, lousy tipper. Huh. Oh, you're doing online dating, right? And you scroll through, and you see someone you're interested in, and you click on their picture, and you're just about to send them a direct message, but you take a more careful look at their truth-telling T-shirt. Everyone has to wear it. That's part of the law. That's part of my invention. You have to wear it at all times, okay? You can have two, so you can wash one once in a while, okay? But, but you, look, you look carefully at the picture. You're just about to message this person, and their shirt says this, alarming halitosis. Think it over. Think it over. Or you're just about to ask someone for a date in the lobby after church today, and you read their truth-telling T-shirt, and it says this, passive-aggressive powder. You like the silent treatment? I hope so. Or it's your first day at a new school, first day at a new job, and this person is just being so nice and so helpful and you can't believe it. You look at their truth-telling t-shirt, it says this, I'm only being nice to you because I want something from you. Or you're in a conversation, you know, and you're telling a story. Ever been here and you get this sinking feeling? You're telling a story and this person's looking at you going, wow, that's crazy, wow, that's crazy. And they keep saying, wow, that's crazy. And you're just like, I'm not so sure. And you read their truth-telling t-shirt, it says, I'm not listening to a word you are saying. It's a, lo- it's a big t-shirt. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say, right? Good to know, good to know. Spiritually speaking, the Bible says, money, money, money is your truth-telling t-shirt. This is this startling moment that we step into in our lives when we realize, spiritually speaking, as it turns out, I ain't from here. So I think what I'll do is this. I think I'm going to ask not what this world can do for me, but I'm going to come to this beautiful, upside-down reality of the open-handed life and ask myself instead, what can I do for this world? Let's pray. Just ask ask you in this moment of reflection to bow your head if you could and close your eyes if you're comfortable. Whether you're watching online or in person right now, I just, I guess I want to ask a question. How are you doing with purpose? How are you doing with meaning? 
How you doing with victory? How you doing with hope? See, I think there's something inside of all of us that we strive and we strive and we strive. And I still remember the moment when I realized that I didn't have to chase after any of that stuff anymore, but that God wanted to give it to me as a free gift. And I wanna pass that opportunity on to you right now. I wanna tell you that God loves you so much, not some future improved version of you. He loves you right now. So much so that he sent his son to die and rise again for you. What does that mean? It means purpose, meaning, hope, victory, your sins forgiven, your hurts healed, strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. It's a free gift. All you have to do is say yes. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to give you that chance. If today is the day that you say, Jesus, I want to turn to you for life. I want to turn to you for hope and victory and purpose and meaning. I just want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you nice and high if you don't mind. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, you can put your hand down. If you just raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray along with me. Gotta just think about that song, peace came down. I thank you that that's what's happening right now. I pray for your peace into my life, in place of anxiety, in place of stress, in place of worry, in place of fear, I pray for peace. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins. Give me a fresh start, a clean slate right now, and thank you, and remind me over and over and over again that I am fully, completely, totally loved right now. And thank you that you rose again for me. Jesus, I ask that you would give me strength to rise to become the person that you created me to be, today, tomorrow, and forever. And God, for all of us, I'm just so thankful for this family called Southside. I thank you that somewhere along the line you showed us everything, everything, everything that we could possibly need, we have from you. <laughs> and so we don't live our lives asking what this world can do for us, but instead, we lean in asking what we can do for this world. And then we find the beautiful, abundant life, the upside-down reality of the open-handed life. We thank you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. <laughs> two things for me. There's a lot going on right now, and I've just picked two of them to bring up to you. I could talk on and on about this is great. Wonder drive throughs coming up. It's going to be good. If you want to help, text the keyword WONDER to 604-670-3040. That wasn't my one thing. That was just a prelude, okay? So I still have two more things. We, we're a couple weeks away from the end of this study on 1 Timothy. It's been amazing. And I asked, let's lean in. Whether you're online or in person, let's lean in. Let's be back ready next week. And finally, could you do me a favor? Can you start asking yourself who you're bringing, who you're bringing to Christmas services this year? 246 on December 23rd, 246 December 24th, and we're gonna have thousands and thousands of people online and in person this year, but who are you bringing? So if you're online, that might look a little bit different. You might have a watch party, or you might, 
I don't know tech stuff, but it's going to be really techy and really cool, and, and that's going to be awesome. And if you're in person, you're going to come. And, and Oh, if you're online, by the way, we do up Christmas really big, and we do cookies and stuff like that. So get a hold of us. If you want to do a watch party, we'll send you some cookies. We'll send you... That sounded kind of lame. It's going to be amazing. We're going to send you some cookies. Hey, Christmas is going to be good. Bring people. Love you. See you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.